You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. This is episode 80, and I'm your host, Brandon. Allison's still off, home with her baby, so she'll be back eventually. In the meantime, I am going to today talk about something that I was recently asked by a listener about organizing workshops and getting the word out about workshops and how to just kind of set up the whole workshop event setting for fermentation classes. So I figured I'd talk about that. But first, I want to say CrowdSource, congratulate Karen and Eric. Karen was on the show, episode 78, talking about CrowdSource, their kitchen gadget, their device for fermentation that is that stainless steel thing that sits right on top of a mason jar. Well, they met their Kickstarter goal and way exceeded it. Their original goal was 35000 They ended up with 184,133 in pledges from 3,335 backers. So congratulations to them. That's awesome. You can go back and listen to that episode. If you did not, I'll have that in the show notes at firmup.com slash podcast slash 80. And also a little bit more follow-up regarding the episode 77 on chicken feed. I highly recommend if you have chickens to start giving them fermented feed because my chickens... Since that episode, I started feeding it to them and they love it. I don't know what they're loving about it. They might just like the fact that it's wet. So if you don't even want to go through the effort of feeding them fermented food, then you could at least get it wet because as was stated in that episode, it does make a difference for digestion, for other benefits as well. Even if you're not going to go to the final step of fermenting, I'm kind of doing I tried mason jars, but since I have five chickens, that was not quite enough in a quart-sized mason jar. So instead, I've pushed to just doing it in a food-safe plastic bucket. I know I kind of have mixed feelings about fermenting in plastic, but it's for the chickens, and so maybe it will be okay even though I'm going to eat their eggs. I don't know. I just kind of, right now, that's the best bucket that I have for them. But I'm doing it in that, and I'm keeping it closed. It's not a fully anaerobic environment by any means because I don't have it full, but I'm just kind of doing it like a sourdough starter. And so I just keep adding more and of the dry feed and a little bit more water. And then I stir it up. I'm not draining water off. So if there's like fit uh, compounds or otherwise that are beneficial to let drain off, I'm not doing that yet, but maybe I'll switch up my system at some point. Either way, I just wanted to say that my chickens are loving it and your chickens might too, if you have them. If you don't have chickens, then if you get your chicken eggs from a local purveyor, maybe see if they're fermenting their eggs or if they would, or not their eggs, fermenting, fermented eggs. That's another topic that we should talk about at some point. But if they are fermenting their feed or have any interest in doing so, it's worth at least talking to your local farmer about. They probably have too many chickens to want to do it, but it might be beneficial. And I don't know what the benefits are right now, except that, again, my chickens are loving it. On to the main topic for today. It's talking about workshops. It's talking about events because, like I've said recently and before, I do workshops Locally, usually, I venture out a little bit like Chicago or whatnot, but most of the work I do is in Wisconsin. And one of them that's coming up next week is part of a farm to fermentation series with uh, food from CSA farms and local vendors of fermented foods. We're doing a bond me and beer class that's going to be all about vegetable fermentation, maybe throwing those into a uh, bond me sandwich, which deals with bread and bread fermentation, along with some fish sauce on there and then beer going along with it. It all works great and it's, it's awesome and you know, if nothing else, it's a great title, Bond Me and Beer. So anyone that is in the area should come out. But more importantly, today I'd like to talk about like, what is it about setting up these kind of workshops? How to go about it? If you're in an area that say doesn't have any fermentation workshops and you would like to set some up, 
then by all means, get on it and do it. If you have information to share, you should share it with people. And whether it's a, a free workshop or something paid, you know, get people out there, get people learning things and doing things. And so have fun with this. But if you're not familiar with starting up workshops, I don't, I don't have any real background in doing this. I've, I've done some workshops and, and instructor and events in other areas before, but for the most part, Fermentation is really where it's at, where I have really spent the time to get out there and really share knowledge with other people. It started with the podcast, which then turned into local workshops eventually. And one of the best ways I say about getting out there with people is collaborate. Join forces with someone local. Maybe it's just another fermenter. That works. That's great. But even better, join with some kind of local organization that deals with some aspect of food and work with them because you're going to reach a broader audience. You're going to interest people that may not know much about fermentation. If it's not a fermentation business or organization that you're working with, if it's just a food organization, there are people that are hungry for fermentation that would love to learn more, but maybe don't know anything, especially depending on where you're located. If you have any kind of food organization, reach out to them. One that I have had a lot of success working with is Slow Food. And so the local chapter of Slow Food, Slow Food Madison, I've worked with them on a couple different things. And uh, one that we did was a Zymology Camp. And it's it was a five-session series on Wednesday nights. And we had about uh, 20 people every night show up. And most of those people attended all five of our workshops. And it was it was great. I didn't teach all the workshops, but I helped with the organizing of it and taught a couple of the workshops in the process. And you know, there, there are plenty of people out there. It's just sometimes if you're new or don't have any um, way that you're doing any kind of outreach at this point, like if you don't have a blog, if you don't have a book or a podcast or anything else, then, you know, you're, you're, you may have a harder time, like with the, the marketing term of you might not have the, that platform to, to work from. So instead, work with someone else, provide value for the organization, and in return, they'll provide you with an audience. And that's a great way to get out there and, um, and work with other people. And you can also bounce ideas off of other people, depending on what kind of collaboration you're going to do. Sometimes, you know, you're going to be like, go to a somewhere like Slow Food. Um, this wasn't my experience, but like maybe you go somewhere and you're like, hey, I want to do this. And then maybe you can pretty much be in charge of taking care of it. Otherwise, get involved with some other people that are also interested in helping in some aspect, maybe people that even have knowledge about doing some of these things and then work together, bounce ideas off each other. Because I know for myself, like I come up with all kinds of crazy ideas all the time, but they're not always good ideas. So it's nice to have someone else, a sounding board to at least go off of. And then other times people have great ideas that I would have not even thought of. And also for myself, I find that sometimes I'm very far removed from the beginner, which most of these workshops are geared towards. I've been fermenting, you know, for eight, nine years now. And so sometimes I forget that what interests me and what I'm super fascinated with at this point in my fermentation life is not exactly what the beginner is interested in, or it may be over their head. So I always like to dive a little deep in my workshops. I'm, I, I don't really like to go super superficial, but it's important to remember that everyone's at their own place and draw people in for different reasons. I mean, you don't have to have a workshop that only is for beginners. You can have beginners and intermediate in a class and still provide value as long as you feel comfortable in teaching what you're teaching and can answer questions for people that have are at all different ranges and still make it appropriate for all those beginners intermediate and probably not the masters or advanced fermenters. You're probably not going to mix all of them into the same group, but definitely do an advanced course. If you, if you've been doing some kind of ferment for a long time or know a lot about it, or just are super passionate about it and want to share it with others, then you can get out there. And even if you're not going to do an actual event event, 
get those other advanced fermenters together uh, or, or I guess make it an event as opposed to a workshop in, in essence, make it something that it's not so much you're teaching someone, but that everyone can learn together. Think about an incense of like a meetup group or something like that. Meetup.com. I mean, you pay a monthly fee or yearly fee and, and can post a meetup group and then you can do like a fermenter uh, meetup and get people together on a weekly, monthly, bi-monthly basis and talk fermentation. So it could be something like that. Like you're a facilitator of sorts, but not necessarily the one teaching if you don't feel completely comfortable with your own skills at this point. But get out there and collaborate with others. Get out there. And I mean, that's what the whole idea is with these workshops is to share the information because a lot of people have been disconnected from this stuff. They don't have grandparents or parents that taught them how to ferment things as was once the way that people learned when it was just normal everyday stuff. And the idea of someone doing a specific podcast about normal everyday stuff like fermentation would have been ridiculous. But now there are people that will listen to this like yourself because it's something that is not something everyone is doing, but people want to do it and people love the flavors. And to do it at home is super easy for many of these kinds of ferments. So Getting up there and sharing it with other people isn't so much that like you're sharing, hey, look at all this stuff and this amazing complicated stuff I understand. Like fermentation is easy. You can get into some of the fascinating historical science perspectives, but it's easy. And that's what I always emphasize to anyone that attends any of the workshops I do. It's like this stuff is super easy. Most of the time, it's very little time spent on the actual like this is how you do it. Like dairy fermentation. Man, I can tell someone in a in a sentence how to make some fermented heirloom yogurts. It doesn't take much. But entire class, an hour and a half, two hours, can be easily filled with all kinds of fermented topics. And I'll get a little bit more into different topics at the at the end. But another great thing about collaborating with others is that you might make it, the ticket sales will be some kind of fundraising for another organization. And so that's another way to approach places. It's like, hey, um, I would like to do this workshop and I would like the proceeds to go to such and such. Uh, or, or to your specific organization. And that's a great way to do it. Another thing you could reach out to libraries and don't just consider local organizations fully, like go to surrounding states. If you're willing to travel at all, like Madison, you know, three and a half hours from Chicago, it's not very far for me to go there. Good food festival. I've had, um, good luck working with them and it's great just to get, get out there, get your feet wet, do whatever. Like I'll do small events. I, it doesn't have to be like a major event. Like I think it's most important that this information just get out to people and that people know it's a possibility because some people surprising as it may be, as much as fermentation seems to be covered in the popular media and whatnot today, like some people still don't have any clue that they can just easily do this stuff at home or what a like SCOBY is for kombucha or any of that kind of crazy stuff for the normal average person. It's fun. It's exciting. Share that excitement with others. And so if you don't have any local organizations you'd like to work with, think about local businesses. If you're so lucky to have like a kombucha company or or a local craft brewery, bakeries, vegetable fermenters, and even cafes and coffee shops. I mean, coffee's fermented. I mean, if you have a, a chocolate maker around that chocolate has fermentation component into it, you don't necessarily have to team up with these people or these businesses because oftentimes they may not have time, you might not be teaming up with them to do a dual um, workshop as in collaborating on the actual instruction of it. Although if they want to do that, I would say t- definitely take advantage of that because anyone that has a local business and is so focused on one kind of ferment, even if it's as something as commonplace as like a baking, 
you can focus, you can focus on the fermentation aspect of it because for them, they might not be as focused on the fermentation. I mean, if you're talking about craft breweries, I mean, they're definitely going to have a lot to share and they, you could almost facilitate a workshop and have them lead it if they have the time or interest. So sometimes some of these, some of these businesses, they have a lot of knowledge. And as long as they feel comfortable sharing it, as long as it doesn't feel like proprietary information or competition is going to get in the, in the way, like, the more that we can share, everyone can share. Maybe you can, if your place in, in this, if you don't feel confident instructing yet is to find the people that can instruct and inspire them, motivate them to teach a workshop and say, Hey, I'll take care of the facilitation, the organization of it. You just get up and talk because sometimes that's all people will have time to do. And, or, or maybe you'll find people that really want to get involved. Either way, get out there, talk to local businesses, talk to other people, talk to farms. CSA farms are a great location to have a fermented vegetable. Um, talk, talk to a, a small dairy farm to do fermented, uh, dairy like cheese and heirloom yogurts. There are plenty of venues out there and collaboration makes it a lot easier because depending on, you know, always you have to understand like that a local business may still want to charge you as well for the space if you're going to do a workshop all yourself. But at the same time, if you're collaborating, if it's a, a cross-promotional kind of effort where they're going to get some, uh, maybe even some press or at least some recognition and the audience is going to be there learning about their product as well as getting uh, information about how to ferment things at home, then it may very well be something where like, sure, you can use our space and, and we'd love to have you come in. So just think about it that way because it's not like there's a lot of money in fermentation workshops, at least not from my experience. It's it's kind of a supplemental thing to do. Maybe you'll make a little bit of money. Maybe you won't make any money. But the important thing is to try and think outside of like having to rent a space yourself because that can get a little expensive. And in some venues that are free, such as libraries, unless you're uh, specifically coming for some kind of presentation, if they have that kind of setup to do that, if you're just renting a space in a library, you may or may not be able to get away with certain kinds of fermented fermentation demos or uh, hands-on activities because you just don't have the proper facilities. Also go to grocery stores. If you have any small grocery stores or even better yet, uh, some food co-ops, that'd be a great place. I mean, Willie Street Co-op, one of the oldest co-ops in the nation is a great place in Madison. There are two locations to that people teach workshops at, and it's a great way for food workshops and uh, there need to be more fermentation workshops there. So if anyone from Billy Street is listening, definitely we need to talk. But anyway, it's it's important to just reach out there and um, get some ideas of possible venues, make a list of possible places, places you could contact. If you're serious about wanting to do this, just get out there and do it. And I would say also local chefs talk to the chefs, to the restaurants that you admire, to the, the chefs you admire. It doesn't matter what cuisine because fermentation crosses all cuisines. Not all chefs are currently doing fermentation. It's not that they don't necessarily know about fermentation or whatnot, but fermentation in the chef world is hot right now. And so approaching someone being like, hey, I've been doing this for a long time. I may not have the same culinary skills that you do, but together we can work on something where I can share my knowledge. And in the process, hey, maybe you'll learn something too about cooking or otherwise. And think about a fixed menu fermentation event. So not even a workshop, but like get collaborate on a a workshop uh, on a, on a fixed menu that involves fermentation in every dish. And that'd be a great way to get the word out there about fermentation and get people thinking about fermentation in different ways and thinking about, Oh, all of these things are fermented in ways that I would not have imagined or thought of. And then again, fermentation 
who can go food and alcohol. So a fixed menu event would be great at a restaurant because then you can do wine or beer pairings as well, or liquor in there as well. Like you can do all kinds of pairings with food and just really get people thinking. If nothing else, you don't have to teach them how to do something themselves because not everyone's going to be interested in that, but you can get them thinking about, wow, all of these things are fermented. All of these things deal with microbes. All of this is so super exciting and get them pumped. And maybe they'll want to do it at home and make it regularly. Or if nothing else, at least they'll be super excited to come back to that restaurant or start frequenting their artisanal fermenters in the area and valuing the sometimes more expensive products for the effort, work, and uh, potential health benefits and everything else that are involved with these fermented foods. So not everyone wants to make these things. So if you're not interested in sharing how to do workshops, you can just get events that get people enjoying fermented foods and thinking about things being fermented. Important thing to consider also is format. So it's it's going to be somewhat dependent on your venue. If you are in a space without a sink to wash your hands, you may not want to do a hands-on workshop. You might be okay with doing a demo, like you could show people how to make sauerkraut and you could, you know, the, the simplest thing to do would be to not get your hands messy as much, but I like to massage it. So uh, massaging the cabbage and the salt together to bring out the through osmosis and through that breaking of the cellular tissues, bringing out the liquid that way. Well, I like to do that. I like to get my hands dirty in that way. If I don't have a sink, well, sometimes I'll use like my kimchi gloves or you could use any kind of gloves, but I like, I love my like thick red kimchi gloves that I will use. I'll use those anytime when I'm making kimchi, just because I often forget and stick, um, you know, like the next morning I'll be putting in my contacts and burning my eyes because I somehow miss the sliver of, hot pepper sauce. So like I always use gloves then. So then it doesn't really matter. I can be at a venue and use those and then put them off to the side. And my hands are still clean, but otherwise use gloves if you don't have a sink or use a kraut pounder or something else to uh, mash up vegetables. Some of the things like fermented dairy products, like if you're doing heirloom yogurts, well, you can just use a spoon and different stuff. And you don't have to worry about it, but you might still make a mess. So make sure you come with paper towels and other things, especially if you're, well, no matter what, if you're renting a space or if you're using a space, if someone has been so kind as to allow you to use a space, definitely make sure you're cleaning up really good afterwards if you make any kind of mess and way so more. So that's something to consider if you're going to be having other people do hands-on stuff because, you know, vegetables fly around or different stuff. I mean, it's just, it's inevitable that be prepared to have enough time, make sure you have enough time to clean up and make sure you have the supplies needed to clean up things as well. But one important thing, so so format, you can do a demo, a hands-on class, like I was saying, or kind of a lecture of sorts. Now, a demo, the one thing to consider is that will you be providing people with samples? I mean, no matter what, are you going to provide people with samples? That's kind of a gray area of regulation depending on where you live. I'm not going to say go out and provide samples to people. I'm not going to say don't do it either. I'm just going to say figure out what you're comfortable with doing in your area. It may very well be that your samples need to come from a and have been fermented and prepared in a commercial kitchen. If so, you if you're collaborating with a local business, a food business or with a chef and restaurant, well then you might be able to talk to them about doing that and preparing things, not having them prepare them, but use their licensed space so that at least it's prepared in a commercial kitchen because otherwise you might not legally be able to serve that according to the health department or department of agriculture, depending on who's going to be regulating that stuff. So do be mindful of it. And if you don't want to be mindful of it, just don't listen to anything I just said and just uh, move forward blindly until you hear otherwise. I don't recommend it, but it's definitely, I always try and be a little bit cautious around that kind of stuff. It's ironic 
given the fact that these workshops are mainly geared that I do are geared towards people that I'm promoting the idea of making these ferments at home, but then I can't legally provide them with ferments that I made in my own home. And again, though, it's sometimes easier that way too, because then you don't have to worry about uh, liability or getting people sick. I mean, because if you want to get in all the legal aspects of everything, then you probably want to carry insurance if you're going to be teaching in workshops and doing all these other kinds of things. And if you're doing a lot of workshops, yes, I would highly recommend getting things like that. It's just not worth getting sued over trying to share something you're passionate about. So don't make people sick. And if you're worried about that at all, or don't feel comfortable uh, working in kind of a gray area of possibility, then, well, then just don't provide samples or find a commercial kitchen to do it in. If you're going to be doing a demo, like if you're going to be making sauerkraut, make sure that you are, you can multitask unless it somehow fits into your presentation style that you don't need to speak while you're chopping up things. Because the last thing you want to do is either be so talkative and in it, in the moment, answering questions and doing everything and chopping off your finger or worse yet, not be able to really talk while you're doing that and just kind of boring people because it's really not that exciting to watch someone chop vegetables. It's an important aspect to, if you're trying to show people how to do something, to do it in front of them. It's great, but just make sure that you can multitask. I'm not necessarily the best multitasker, so I try and do the simplest demos possible while I'm doing something or better yet, find someone else that can do something for you. So like if you need sauerkraut, if you need cabbage chopped up for sauerkraut, or you need a lot of vegetables chopped up for something like kimchi, then ask for a volunteer or two to do the chopping so that you have someone that can be both listening and participating. So at least you have one or two people that are actively interested in getting their hands dirty, that they can get up there and do something. And that allows you to, allows everyone to see all of this process happening. And if any, if the volunteer does something, not wrong, but if they do something that you wouldn't do necessarily, it's also a great teaching point because you can point out that like, Hey, this is totally fine. This is awesome. You did great. But like for myself, I find such and such is an issue or like, however it's packed. It's like, if you pack it this full, it's great. And I do it on at certain points because it's like, sometimes I just have a little bit of vegetable uh, and I can't quite get it in and I'll try and stuff it in. But then that just ends up making a mess afterwards after it starts bubbling and bubbles out. And so like things like that are great talking points. If someone else is doing something that you may not otherwise have thought of, like those troubleshooting moments are a good thing to also consider when you have volunteers helping with the multitasking. If you're going to do a full hands-on workshop, everyone's going to get dirty. Everyone's going to get their hands messy. And you're also going to have to make sure that you come with a lot of produce, a lot of uh, quite a few ingredients, depending on what you're making. And so make sure that whatever your plan is, is either in season or that you do not specify exactly what will be made. Like if, again, a lot of this goes to the vegetable fermentation. If you're doing dairy fermentation, most likely you're going to be able to get milk wherever you are, unless you're doing a certain kind of cheese that you only want pastured milk or some such else, then you need to pay attention to those kind of things. But you would already know that if you're trying to go that specific. But if you're doing something like it's sticking with vegetable fermentation at this point is really a lot easier to focus on. So, you know, if you cabbage, you can probably get most times, but don't guarantee it if it's out of season in your area that it will be there the day you need it. Because I recommend getting it the day before or the day of if you're willing to take a little bit of a chance or are flexible on what vegetables you're going to use. Like the upcoming Bon Me and Beer class, we're just going to get a CSA box. We know roughly what's going to be in there based on this previous week, but as anyone that's had a community-supported agriculture box delivered to them or go they go pick it up from afar, if you've gotten one of those before, you know that the, the things shift and change dependent on the harvest, dependent on the weather, dependent on a lot of different things. There may be an abundance of one thing and not so much of another. And so instead, we're just like going to go with that class. I have some... Um, some things that 
are already set up and already fermenting. And that's for the banh mi sandwiches with some daikon radishes and carrots. But then at the same time, during the class, we're going to demo some different ways to use different vegetables and kind of make it kind of fun. Like we haven't opened up this box. We're going to open up it in live in class and we'll see what we can do with these objects and whether we can ferment them or not will be depend on what we get in the box. And so doing things like that can actually be really beneficial because part of fermentation is preservation. And so if someone has a garden or CSA box, they are going to be looking for ways to use different things and not everything is as common. Like if you have Cabbage. Obviously, people know they can do something with the cabbage like sauerkraut. But if you have something like watermelon, well, the watermelon itself, unless you want to make alcohol, you're probably not going to use the fruit, but you can use the rind and make that into a pickle and it's delicious. So there are different little things that just fermenting over time you might think of. And so doing something like that is flexible can be great when you're talking about ingredients. Also with ingredients, are you going to be buying the ingredients the day of? And if you're are, are you footing the bill on this? Are, if there, if it's a free court class, that's probably where it's coming from. If it's a paid class, uh, just make sure that you have, if people are paying at the event or prepaying, which I'll get into a little bit more at the end, prepaying is probably going to be the easiest because then you know you have the cash to be able to work with and get the produce. But also look at uh, local vendors, look at local farmers, see if anyone is willing for, you know, a certain size of class, like if they're going to be introduced to a lot of people that are interested in food that may want to get a CSA box or may frequent them in a farmer's market, then talk to people and see if they would be willing to donate certain things in order to, you know, in essence, kind of sponsor the thing. But if nothing else, just a little cross promotion again there. So there are different ways to get produce as well. With supplies, if you're doing a hands-on workshop, you definitely are going to want to make sure you have enough stuff. When you're talking about vegetables again, you want to make sure you have enough knives. If you're doing dairy fermentation, like heirloom yogurts or butter making or anything that is can be used in a mason jar, just make sure you have a lot of mason jars and make sure they're clean. They're not necessarily clean coming from directly from the factory. They're going to have that little funky smell and just wash them beforehand. So make sure you get your jars ahead of time and find the cheapest place to get the jars because that can make a difference. A few dollars can make a difference when you're, when you need like 40 or 50 jars. And I use quart sized jars a lot of times, but with knives, it's important to have a few chef's knives. Um, at, I would say at, if you're going to have a class of 20, at least have four knives and you, they don't all have to be chef's knives. Um, you can, but I'd say four chef knives with a few like paring knives and otherwise would be great if you're going to be doing something like, again, like kimchi or uh, other mixed vegetable kraut cheese, as uh, Sandra Katz says, any, anything that's mixed. Um, it's going to have multiple things because then you're going to have multiple people doing different things and then split them off into groups with 20 people, split them off into four groups and they can use, they could have four main knives. You can either, people can then uh, share the knife and do different things or different people will do different parts. Like I'll cut you, you massage and someone else packs, you know, let people figure that kind of stuff out on their own. Unless you want to be a dictator and say, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. But most times people have different interests and some people don't want to get super dirty and other people are totally fine digging their hands in. So just, figure out where people are at. And um, it's generally a good idea to have some kind of gloves if you don't have a space to wash your hands again. But otherwise, just, you know, if you're going to be dealing with spices, make sure to warn people that like, yeah, make sure you don't have like super dry skin or cuts or whatnot because you don't really want anyone with a cut massaging everyone's vegetables anyway. Also make sure they wash their hands somehow uh, as well, but it you may not want them burning themselves 
their cuts or whatnot, or if someone cuts themselves during the thing, they're probably not the ones to massage the vegetables. Just the little things to at least be paying attention to while everyone's kind of doing their thing because you can continue to teach during a hands-on class. And I like to, I like to share things, but more so it's like walking around and just getting people to ask questions. And then when someone asks a great question or even a, just an okay question, like share it with everyone so that everyone hears it. Um, and not everyone's going to be listening. The rooms are generally a lot louder at that point because people are talking with amongst themselves, which is great. But just for anyone that's interested and wants to hear, share it with everyone. Like, don't just keep it to the, the one group because everyone else, you know, paid the, paid the ticket price or at least paid their, in their time to be at this thing. So share it with everyone. I would say though, if you need supplies and you're not going to say with knives, you could have attendees bring their own if you wanted. But if, if that sometimes is a little tricky because then you're relying on other people to bring something that they may or may not have time or forget or assume that other people are going to bring. I find that, you know, going to a local kitchen supply store, definitely ask about pricing. If you can like say, Hey, I'm not a restaurant. I'm, I just, I'm this one person doing these workshops and I do these workshops often enough. Like, do you have any kind of pricing point that's different than the sticker price out here? So definitely talk to people and see if you can get, um, better pricing for stuff since you're kind of going at it business like wise. If not, you can also try Webstaurant store. I found really good results there just going and, um, like because they've got really dirt cheap. 20 quart bowls. So like, which are these nice massive bowls or inexpensive, but good quality chef's knives um, that I, that I use in workshops. These kind of things are, you know, just search the internet and find good deals on, on things, but whatever you do, make sure the knives are sharp. And also if you are dealing, depending on who you're dealing with, you want to remind people about some kind of chef or knife safety. And that's just going to be important to remind people because if people are dealing with sharp things, you don't always know if people come from a background of cooking in their kitchen at all, or if chopping vegetables is new to them. So just give them a little bit of technique on how to use a knife properly. Obviously, if you're dealing with people that deal with food all the time, then you might just want to keep your mouth shut, but you never know. So it might be worth just saying anyway, just to kind of protect yourself because the last thing you want is someone having cut off their finger in your workshop. Hasn't happened. I hope it never does. And I will continue to tell people about knife skills when sharp knives are involved just because of that. I also like to make sure there are pl- there's plenty of salt. You can probably get by fine, depending on the size of your workshop, with just one container of salt. But I like to have two or three just because that way not people aren't all waiting for the salt. But then again, I also use gram scales and bring the gram scale there. So oftentimes they are waiting for the salt not because they're not waiting. They're waiting to use the salt because they're measuring their salt because in a big group, instead of salting to taste, I just like to go with the percentage and I do for like sauerkrauts, I'll do a 2.25%. And with, if it's a, a brine that's going to be, it's going to be 5% brine, uh, 5% salt to the weight of the water. And so I use gram scales for that, especially in large groups. It's really nice. I use a, my weight, a KD 8,000 scale that is for heavier loads. Like if you're loading up a 20 quart bowl, make sure you, that you have a scale that can go high enough. And I like to use gram scale because then that way I can, I usually use a smaller gram scale for the salt. So I'll use two gram scales in the class also to give people some of the benefits of using gram scales and lack of mess and lack of needing to measure anything. But again, if you're someone that prefers kind of like the Sander Katz method of just salting to taste and not using any more equipment than necessary, then definitely go that route and teach that way. And I like to give both options, but definitely tell people by preference because that's what people are, you know, they're, they're there to learn. And so I like to provide people with options. 
Just remember, again, that cleanup thing. If you don't have access to sinks, I don't know what you're going to do if you're going to do a hands-on workshop, but it's possible. Even a bathroom, if you're at a library or something like that, that can be enough if they're willing to allow you to make a mess and as long as you're willing to clean it up. But otherwise, come with supplies. Come with your own, own little janitorial supply kit and clean things up afterwards. Otherwise, it's just going to take a lot longer and then depending on where the venue is, you need to get out there at, at a certain point after the workshop is over. And you're probably already going to be busy answering questions after the workshop. So make sure you have enough time for cleanup. And you can also, if you're of, if it's that kind of workshop and you either know some people there or otherwise just throw out there, like some people would be happy to stick around later and talk and um, just continue talking about fermentation or asking questions while they help clean up. Some people, it, you may or may not feel comfortable with that depending on the workshop and you shouldn't definitely don't expect anyone to stay, especially if they've already paid for the workshop, but some people are happy to stay after. And again, it's an, it's an opportunity to, for them to further interact with you or each other and just realize that not everyone's, um, wants to leave right after it's over. And it's a nice way to extend that if people are willing. And some people will just naturally stick around and kind of help with that. So that can sometimes happen too, but just remember, you're going to get questions at the end, most likely. And uh, and, and so be prepared, make sure you have enough time allotted for even after the class is over that you're going to need even more time for the actual cleanup. Now, if you don't want to do cleanup or anything like that, you can do a lecture kind of series, depending on where you're at. Like if you're in a space that doesn't have a kitchen, it, it's not a kitchen. It doesn't have anywhere good to do something. You can always do a lecture or just more of an informational kind of thing. And I always include slides in, well, not always, but in most workshops that I do, I like to have slides, not because I like to do a lot of text, not because I'm doing a boring PowerPoint. At least I don't hope my slides are boring and I generally don't use PowerPoint because I can't stand it, but I like to add photographs, photographs of the process of the food of microbes, things that, you know, unless I bring in a microscope and different stuff, things that just aren't conducive to a large group setting to, for everyone to see really well. Even if I'm doing a demo in front of everyone, sometimes it's better to have some photographs of the process as well, because then that way people can, can learn however they're going to learn best. Like some people are going to learn best with on that like big visual screen and some people are going to need to do it. And so seeing you do it at least is a little bit more like seeing that moving object is a little bit closer. So try and present things in different ways. And if you feel comfortable at all with photographs or, or can find photographs or, you know, I would say also, it's like, if you're doing a workshop and you need photographs, email me and I would be happy to provide you with something. If I have that image of it, if you, if you don't, or you don't take photos or whatnot, but again, it doesn't matter what it just take images of the stuff. It doesn't have to be super pretty just help people learn in different ways. And if you don't have a slide projector that, or a, a projector, then you may not want to go that route because not every venue will have one, but I like to bring one with me just so that it's ready and I don't have to question or dink around with anyone else's equipment. And that way I just know it's nice and bright and it's going to work. Also, when you're talking about format, you also want to think, is this going to be a single day event? Like, is it going to be like a, well, length of time too, if it's just a short demo, like a 20 minute demo, that's one totally different aspect than like an hour and a half, two hour workshop. I kind of prefer that hour and a half to two hour time period because I like to allow for a lot of time for questions as we go along. And not everyone likes a workshop like that. So again, you're not trying to appease everyone. Like if you, if you want a, such a broad reaching workshop, you're going to start disappointing some people. So attract the people that you want to teach, like teach a workshop for 
the kind of workshop you'd want to be at. But then also remember that you can incorporate things because not everyone's going to be like you. So I kind of do like a mix of that. Like I like going a little bit deeper into things. I like learning a little bit of the science, a little bit of the history, as well as the hands-on and very much so leave people with the confidence to do something and have a little bit of the troubleshooting skills to know what to do if something doesn't quite go right. Because that's the that's sad. If someone gets excited and motivated to do something and then they leave the workshop and they go make it at home and then something gets screwed up and they don't know how to deal with it or what went wrong, then that's kind of sad. And then they might not ferment again. So you do want to think it's not just getting people to know about this stuff. You want to motivate them and inspire them to do it again and again and again. And so you have to give them the skills and the understanding and whatnot to be able to do that confidently. And I would say also make sure that you're giving out some kind of contact information. Like I feel like if, if people, especially I, I, for any of you that have contacted me, I mean, I'm relatively good at getting back to anyone. I'm uh, not super famous or anything at this point. So like, it's not like I can't get back to most people uh, in a relatively timely manner. But like I always tell people, if you're in a workshop, seriously, don't question, contact me. If it's a small little thing, you are at this workshop, you have every right to contact me and ask that question. Anyone can contact me about anything, but I just try and emphasize that if you've been to a workshop, you know, just remind me that you're at that workshop and I'll make sure I get back to you as soon as possible. Like I take high um, priority with people that have attended an in-person workshop. Again, it's just all those. I'm not necessarily going to remember everyone by name, but if people contact me, then uh, I can at least be reminded of which workshop they were at and then help them specifically because I know kind of what I taught in that workshop and can help them work with it or provide like a basis for like, remember when I was talking about this, you can try this. So definitely let people be able to contact you. But back to the whole thing, single day or multi-day thing, like doing a multiple day workshop can be great. It's usually different topics, but if you have people coming back, like on a weekly basis, like maybe you're doing every weekend, weekends start to get hard though, to do every weekend for a month or so, but like you could do like a weekday. And as long as that works for people, like you're going to limit the ability for a lot of people because not everyone has a weekday that they can do something, but if you get a good group of people that are committed and want to take a multi-day series, then the nice thing when it's spread out like every week or every two weeks, you people can ask questions about what they were doing previously, what they had previously learned. Because sometimes with a single-day workshop, again, going back to that whole like, they get home and try something, but it doesn't necessarily work. Or even if it does work really well, maybe they would like to be able to share that with other people. And if they didn't take contact information or network with anyone else that was at the workshop, then they might not really have anyone to talk to about that. And instead, they can all come in and compare results. Even if it's just verbally, they can compare things and say, hey, where is your is, is yours bubbling yet? Mine's bubbling, especially if it's people that have never had bubbling vegetables in on their countertop or elsewhere, then it can be fun just to get together and talk about those kind of things. And it just it builds a different kind of connection by the end of a, a series. And I haven't done a lot of these by any means, but I definitely say having something built like that, or you can go with like a full series where it's like on a monthly basis. It's less about having people attend everyone. Whereas some people obviously will because they'll be super excited and maybe have like that is a possibility. Like this Bon Me and beer is a part of a series with Nasala Kombucha and it's at their facility. And they were the ones that contacted me about uh, collaborating on this. And it's a series that's going to go through the winter. It's a slower time for them as far as I remember, but, and, and if not, then I, I may be totally off on that, but, uh, they're, they're super awesome and busy all the time anyway, but it's, you know, it's winter time. People have more time to do things because they're not outside doing stuff at least. And so a series, the first Wednesday of every month, just keeping it simple so people can concretely understand. It's like 
first Wednesday of the month. It's time for fermentation class. And so we'll see what it's about. So a series is another way to go about it just so that people know, they know that they can come to you every month if they want to, and they don't necessarily have to rely on the just the promotion of it. They they will know it after a few times, hopefully, or remember it. And maybe months later be like, oh yeah, remember the, that fermentation thing goes on every first Wednesday of the month. Let, let's go check it out now. Promotion of the event and event management is also important. I mean, yes, obviously do all your social media stuff and talk to people in real life and share that you are going to be doing this. Sometimes I'm bad about doing that on the podcast because again, I realize most people that listen to the show are not local to Madison, but I think it's important to get things out there and I'm starting to share more of these ideas on the podcast because again, some of you I know want to teach workshops. So hearing about a workshop, even if you can't attend this workshop might inspire you for a certain workshop that you would like to do in the future. So if you don't have a blog or a podcast or a book or anything else to help promote this, get other people to help you that maybe do have those things or start a blog. There's no reason why we can't have more fermentation blogs. It may not become the most successful, amazing blog anytime soon, but start it, start a podcast, you know, like the, the, the more people that are doing these and sharing these things, the better all of us get. So definitely get out there, do those kind of things. And it's important to promote it because you, if you're, especially if you're selling tickets or even if you're doing a pre-registration for a free event, you want some way of recording that. So the ticket sales, things like Eventbrite or Brown Paper Ticket or two that I've used that are work really nicely. They have slightly different business models. So you're going to get slightly different things as to, you know, is the buyer being charged or are you being charged per ticket sale? So remember that and include that in the ticket price. But online, uh, event management, ticket sales, places like that can be very helpful because then you can know and have pre-registration and you can do early bird ticket sales too for when, when it's kind of too early to start the promotion very much, but for any devoted fans or people, close people that you know, that may actually be willing to sign up for an early bird for a discount, like put that on there as well. Like all of these event type things allow for that. So get out there and experiment with those different ticket sale services out there, or you can do everything local, everything that way. I mean, I've, I've done it that way for like, say a working in a coffee shop. I mean, again, another, another venue option. If like they, a coffee shop has space that they're willing to let you use or rent, then that's another way you can just have the signups be right at the coffee shop. If the coffee shop is willing to take care of that, but I don't recommend as much the email thing or otherwise like email me if you want to attend, because you're not going to get people as committed to it. It's best you're more likely to figure out how many people are going to be there if people are paying for it. That's going to be the easiest way to know how much food you should produce. You should show up with if you're doing it, say a vegetable fermentation or a, with, I'd say, especially dairy, like unless you're planning to ferment all the dairy, extra dairy left over, which I do, like I I'll get huge amounts of dairy product when it goes on clearance sale for like, nearly going to expire for organic, non-homogenized milk. Like I'll grab that stuff up. So like, as long as you're okay and can do something with the product, whether everyone shows up or not, then maybe it doesn't matter to you if you know exactly how many people are going to show up. But I'd say some kind of pre-registration is best and is most clear way of making sure that you have things. And if you have control over it, the better, like giving the, to a coffee shop or any other venue, don't put, don't make them do it. If you don't have to, um, Eventbrite brown paper ticket, do some kind of online thing. Sure, it's going to cost you a little bit of money, but it's worth it. It's usually just out of the ticket price. So 
is this the sales. But on the day of the event, be prepared. I'm very much so a procrastinator, but I've also been, I feel pretty comfortable teaching workshops, but I think that every time that someone is prepared, the better it is. Like if you don't feel comfortable teaching workshops, then definitely spend a lot of time. Like I remember I used to want to be a, sadly, I wanted to be a motivational speaker when, or not, maybe not sadly, sorry if any of you people are motivational speakers out there, but I, I, I like kind of these topical things to share more so than that. Like, but it's, if, if it's, if it's your thing or it was my thing back then, like I, I did Toastmasters and did all kinds of stuff. Like this was like when I was a teenager and I really remember one thing about like something, every minute of a presentation requires one hour of preparation and whether or not that is the quota that you're going to try and meet, it's important to consider that you want to prepare a lot more than the time that's actually spent in front of the people. And yeah, I've been to presentations from people that it, they kind of suck just because they're not prepared, but not nothing fermentation related. Fermentation stuff's always great. I love hearing people share things. And, and that's the thing you have to remember. Most people that are attending stuff, unless you're charging an enormous amount of money for something like they're, they're, they understand like, you know, that you're excited and passionate about this and that teaching may not be your first thing, but if teaching isn't your first thing, then again, maybe you're better as a facilitator. Maybe you can get someone else that does feel more uncomfortable in front of people. Like if, if you're scared crapless being in front of people, then maybe teaching isn't the thing for you, but I would argue that actually it is. And you just need to start doing it and get over it. And so maybe a workshop, a paid workshop, isn't the first thing you should start with, but start getting out and sharing your passion for fermentation or whatever it is that interests you and just start sharing that with people and get out there and do it. But make sure that you're prepared and whether, whether procrastination works best, like if you can get everything together in the last, last day before the workshop, then uh, if that's the way you work, then, then do it. Otherwise spend some time, be prepared, especially if it's your work, first workshop. And especially if you're planning to do any kind of slides, otherwise your slides are going to end up with a lot of text and it's going to be really boring and you're going to be reading off those slides and that's going to be crappy for everyone attending. Don't read off slides, whatever you do. Don't need notes either. Like you should just feel comfortable. Use, use the things that you're comfortable and you know, and, and use them as strengths. I mean, especially if you're doing vegetable fermentation, you're up there with the knife. I mean, take charge and just do it. The other stuff you want to make sure you're doing on the day of the event is take photos. I'm really bad about this sometimes, even though I do photography on the side and make sure you're sharing these things on social media. You want photos of this kind of stuff happening. You want photos of people doing happy stuff because then you can use that in future promotions for different events that you're doing as well, as long as people are okay with that happening. And make sure you ask, like, if you're going to do something like that. Most people at this point are okay with, like, if you're taking a, it's kind of almost inevitable, like, if you're at a group event and someone's taking a photo with their phone that it's going to end up on some kind of social media. And most people seem to be okay with that at that point. Otherwise, just don't go out in public. But, other, but in general, like, if you want to be, careful about that. Like do ask people and be like, Hey, I want to put this up somewhere and just make sure they're okay with it or future promotion. You might want to ask them. But again, we're not talking about like multi million dollar productions here or anything like that. So like we're just the the little guy workshop. So most people aren't going to mind if you're using their image of a happy, smiling face on these kind of things. The potential for topics is endless. You can talk about anything. If you're more interested in the science of the historical perspective, you know, do a lecture on one of those things or, or tie it in very deeply, interweave it into the thing you're doing. Like I think historical perspective, like looking at these kind of like peasant foods of sorts, these, these poor people foods throughout history. I mean, you know, at one point, like most people were, were poor. So like looking at it, like, you know, scraping by survival food, how it becomes they become have become delicacies 
throughout history, it's interesting to focus on those aspects because foods that are delicious are oftentimes or have, they've come from necessity. And so if that's of interest to you, focus on something like that or do something really fun like Boston Ferments that was on a few episodes ago. Uh, Jeremy Oguski from Boston Ferments, you know, well, he just started up a fermentation festival. So like everyone should just get up and start doing that as well. Like, I mean, it's something that anyone can do. I mean, they're on, they're going to be doing their second year this year. So look to Boston Ferments, for examples. But Fermenters Club was kind of the one that and Boston Ferments has followed since with doing kraut mobs. I mean, that sounds like a great idea. Get a pile of cabbage, get some knives, and just get out there and start making sauerkraut and get other people just kind of in the public eye just walking by and being interested in being like, wow, like what's going on? And then sharing things with them because instead of doing a full-on workshop, that might be a great way as long as you are motivated, interested, excited, and can get people pumped up about it and be willing to have most people be curious and maybe a few odd looks your way, then do it. Be as weird as possible. Involve puppets. I love puppets and masks and do all kinds of awesome things to draw people in. If you're going to do like kind of a, like a mob scene type stuff, if you're going to do again, back to the whole workshop workshops, I mean, there's vegetable fermentation, which I've gone mentioned a lot. There's also sourdough fermentation. Like you can do a lot with sourdough and don't be afraid to do regular bread commercial yeast fermentation as well. Like meet people where they're at. If you're dealing with a bunch of people or people in your area and most everyone uses commercial yeast, well, maybe compare the two, like do side-by-side tasting of, of both sourdough and of a quick commercial yeast fermentation and see where, what people like, and then go from there. Um, you can do koji and miso making. It's a little bit more advanced, but it's really doesn't have to be. And so like, that's what I continue to try and do is figure out these things that are less common, like making koji requiring incubator or requiring other things like with temp a, like certain humidity and certain temperatures can be a little bit difficult, but if anyone's willing to spend the money on a workshop, I like to think that they're willing to spend a little bit of money on an incubator or whatnot. So like teaching a Koji workshop is awesome, but you don't have to teach a Koji workshop. You can just teach the miso workshop, which is dead simple. Like making miso is so easy. And if you haven't done it before, try it a few times and then teach a workshop on it. Uh, and if it's really your first time doing it or f- first few times doing it, maybe you don't want to charge for your first workshop, but it, at least get out there and just start sharing it with the world because that's going to give you good practice on maybe doing a paid workshop in the future. But if you don't want to do any of those, those seemingly more advanced things like tempeh or koje, there's, there are definitely cultured dairy products. Well, again, going with advanced, you can get into advanced cheeses or you can do simple cheeses, some different quick cheeses. But the only thing that you won't find in a beginner cheese class that I do is just focusing on the quick acidified cheeses because again, those aren't fermented. So they're not really in my realm of interest. So, and plus I can't really digest them because I'm lactose intolerant, but if something is fermented, so you maybe have to, it's kind of like a intermediate beginners class to deal with the actual fermented cheeses because they take more time and more effort a little bit more so than say the, the quick acidified cheeses, but it can differentiate you from other beginner cheese classes that might also be available in your area. Heirloom yogurts are something that's super simple. And so like with heirloom yogurts, I like to incorporate things like the heirloom yogurts, talking about the different kinds, where they came from, maybe what's kept them alive, how they differentiate from direct set commercial style yogurts, and even talk about how to make yogurt from a store-bought yogurt, and then compare that to some of these mesophilic or even thermophilic yogurts. And then when weaving that all in... And then ending up with things like, hey, you can also use the same method to ferment 
and culture your own heavy whipping cream, which then you can make into butter and do all these delicious things. So definitely there are ways to not only provide people with the basics, but then expand beyond then. It's planting seeds. Not everyone's going to be interested in every aspect of everything you share, but you plant a seed, get people excited, and maybe eventually they'll remember back, oh, I still have not tried making butter. Maybe I'll start that now, years later after this workshop. And it's just a matter of getting people exposed to things because not everyone's going to be interested in doing everything. And not everyone's going to be interested in fermented bugs, but insects, they are popular now. Do a class, find someone else that's interested in insects, maybe growing insects, and do a class on alternative protein ferments and use something like crickets to make a miso or grasshoppers. I think the Nordic Food Lab did something on on grasshoppers at one point. There are plenty of options out there to cross interests. And another way is with the DIY or hackerspace crowds. Why not, instead of focusing fully on food, do one on building incubators for Koji or Tempeh or talk about an Arduino-controlled yogurt maker. There are all kinds of things. I mean, you could definitely get into the beer brewing, home beer brewers, if that's your thing. Like, there is plenty you could do with the hacker space. And you would probably actually learn some stuff too. Like, share what you know, and you might be surprised what you can learn from your audience. That's the number one thing I'd say for all of this stuff. In any topic you want to do, whether you're like an intermediate or an advanced person yourself, just always remember someone else is going to be able to provide you with an experience, a story, or skills and knowledge that they have that you don't have. And so that's, I'd say, the number one thing. If you're going to get up in front of people, just realize that you have no idea what everyone else in that audience knows, and everyone knows something that you don't. So definitely don't get up there and just talk as if you're a know-it-all. Get up there and share your passion, share your excitement. And another great way to share that is with youth workshops and, you know, make it messy, make it entertaining. And again, back to planting those seeds planted in the youth. They're probably, they very well may go home and share it with their parents. They may share it with their friends if they've got cool friends, but if nothing else, you're showing it that it's an option. I know I didn't know anything about making yogurt at home or sauerkraut when I was a teenager, Maybe you could show someone now and maybe someday they will be interested in do it, making it again. It's like it's it, any of this kind of stuff is not about really converting people to making stuff at home. It's not even about converting them to enjoying fermented foods. Not everyone is going to enjoy all this stuff, but you can, again, plant those seeds, get people excited. Even if they end up not wanting to do this stuff, you never know who they might share the experience with and get someone else hooked or excited on any of this kind of stuff. And that's just what I'd say is the main thing for doing any of this kind of stuff is just to inspire others, get out there and share things. It's not a huge moneymaker by any means. Don't get out there to get rich on fermentation workshops. Although, I mean, maybe you could because it could end up turning into like a full on, you know, maybe you'll get a television show and do your own fermentation television show. And that would be great. And sure, maybe that's a way to do it. And then you could start charging hundreds of dollars for each one of your in-person events. In the meantime, dream big, start small, get out there, do these kind of things. Another example of, uh, in closing is the Fermentation Fest. It's the Reedsburg Fermentation Fest that I will be attending and teaching three different workshops at this year. I think they're in their fourth year. They have an interesting perspective because they're out in the Driftless region of Wisconsin. It's a beautiful uh, region of, of hills and, and, and beauty. And instead of just doing fermentation, which they have a lot, they have a lot of workshops from many different people. And they're, those attract a lot of people, but also people are attracted for the art. There are art um, installations throughout the countryside that is on a 
art tour of sorts. You can go around in the beautiful countryside and experience this different art along with going to fermentation classes that are spread throughout the town. There are different ways to make festivals and to do things that bring people together in different things. So if people have cross interests, maybe art and food really mesh well together, there are other aspects they do too. Collaborate with a microbiologist and deal with fermentation and you could have a really awesome workshop. Pretty much the there are limitless possibilities. You don't just have to focus on beginner classes if that's not of interest to you. And you don't just have to think that you have to know everything before you can do one. If you have an interest in doing it, just get out there and do it. And so if you have any questions about any of this kind of stuff, you can send me an email at podcast at firmup.com. Go to firm up on Twitter, firm up on Facebook, firm up on Pinterest, firm up everywhere and anywhere that you might think of. And until next time, firm up. <laughs>